Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, here's good news. IKEA, you know, the furniture thing, place, has removed hidden security cameras from its warehouse in Peterborough, England, after an employee spotted one on the ceiling while using the toilet. Workers at the Swedish furniture giant were concerned they may have been spied on while in the John. Or the Jane. Workers discovered this last week, according to the British tech journal the register. When the lights were switched off, a member of staff spotted what appeared to be a small red light, the red light between the panels of a suspended ceiling. When they investigated, they discovered the hidden camera, called Nyark. When they looked further, they found a number of other cameras above both the men's and ladies' toilets. One worker told the Peterborough Telegraph, Quote, they were not wireless cameras. There's a whole network of cable, unquote. IKEA admitted they'd been in place since 2015. The company didn't say when they were last used. While some reports have suggested a link between the cameras and the vicinity with the toilets, IKEA claims they were placed there for another purpose. In a statement, a spokesperson for IKEA said, It's a large warehouse facility where forklift trucks and HGVs are in regular operation. In support of our health and safety policy, we have a drugs testing policy in place. As per industry standards, the installation of the cameras in 2015 was to detect alleged activity that could have resulted in serious injury to co-workers and to maintain a high level of safety on site. The cameras, the statement went on, were only ever intended to film activity in the roof space or corridors. Unquote. All the cameras have now been removed and IKEA's carrying out an investigation into the matter. Staff are now reportedly considering legal action. The um, Information Commissioner's Office in Britain said the body had not received a complaint on the matter. It said, Recording images of any identifiable individuals through CCTV, closed-circuit TV cameras, needs to be done in line with data protection law in areas where people expect a high level of privacy such as toilet areas, CCTV should only be used in the most exceptional circumstances, where it's necessary to deal with very serious concerns. In these, case, in these cases, organizations must inform people when a CCTV is in operation. So, just word to the wise, if you're in Peterborough, England, or maybe even another IKEA, Hold it in. Hello, welcome to the show. Running to and fro, hard working at the mill, never fail in the mill, yet come a rotten bill. Too much monkey business, too much monkey business. Much monkey business for me to be involved in. Salesman talking to me, trying to run me up a creek. Say you can buy it, go and try it. You can pay me next week. Ah, too much monkey business. Too much monkey business. Too much monkey business for me 
you trying to get me hooked, want me to marry, get a home, settle down, write a book. Too much monkey business, too much monkey business, too much monkey business for me to be involved. Same thing every day, getting up, going to school, no need of me complaining, my objections overrule. Too much monkey business, too much monkey business, too much monkey business for me to be involved. Something wrong, dime gone, well mail, or the suitor operator for telling me a tale. Ah, too much monkey business, too much monkey business, too much monkey business for me to be involved in. Been to Yokohama, been fighting in the war, army bunk, army child, army clothes, army car. Ah, too much monkey business, too much monkey business, too much monkey business for me to be involved Working in the filling station, too many tasks. Wipe the windows, check the tires, check the oil. A dollar gas. Ha! Too much monkey business. Too much monkey business. I don't want your botheration. Get away, leave me. From the home of the homeless, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, it's time for me to read the trades for you. From Advertising Age, maybe my favorite trade, Arby's Meat Scented Loungewear. You bet I'm going to read it for you. Vizzy, Panera Bread, and Pizza Hut are just a few examples of brands that debuted wacky apparel lines this summer in what became a trend of clothing-based marketing campaigns. The Foodware Fest now continues into the fall with a new campaign from Arby's, which includes a hickory-smoked sweat set. To promote a limited-edition sandwich, the chain partnered with apparel brand Stateline to create Arby's Smoked Sweats. The set includes jogger bottoms, you remember him, and a hoodie in a rich burgundy. The only hint of visual branding is the embroidered A on the hoodie sleeve and the pants hip. The real branding is in the smell. The sweats come in a box with a warning, quote, only open where you want real hickory smoke from East Texas to permeate for a while. 
That's because this loungewear was smoked over hickory from Sadler's Smokehouse, the same provider that supplies the ribs for the new sandwich. The clothing items were then vacuum sealed to retain freshness before shipping to buyers. Arby's tweeted a video that shows the smoking process for anyone who might doubt the authenticity of the meat sweats. Yes, that would be my main doubt. The first batch went on sale October 4th and sold out within the day. Items have since appeared on eBay, selling for $999.99. Another batch is set to release next week on the campaign's website. For those who missed their first shot. The sweatsuit scent doesn't punch immediately upon breaking the vacuum seal. This is from Ad Age's test of the thing. The woody aroma is soft initially, and then slowly spreads throughout the space the clothes are stored in. One might adjust to it, but if you step out for a bit of fresh air, you'll discover upon return that the savory smell has saturated the room. The items are comfortable, reports at age, but, quote, a little stiff from the smoking process. A wash, they report, would certainly soften them to top-tier loungewear, but risk sacrificing the novelty of the hickory aroma. The sweats come with washing instructions that read, quote, method one, don't. Method two, to retain maximum maximum smoky infusion, wash on cold and hang dry over a hickory wood fire. That's in the creativity section of Advertising Age. I'll give him that. And also from Ad Age, who doesn't love seeing Ryan Reynolds during an ad break? Reynolds has brought smiles to consumers, faces with his antics. Too bad all the money spent on those campaigns likely went to waste. An agency called Mountain, where Reynolds now serves as chief creative officer, recently tested out the effectiveness of the actor's face and ads. The results were not good for Ryan Reynolds. The platform's metrics, platform being mountain, break down each ads. They made two ads, one within with one without. Break down their visit rates and networks where the ad performed the best at CNN. He was consoled by the fact that at least he made an ad that worked even if it didn't have his face. That was the other ad. The spot featuring Reynolds only on narration gained 117% more site visits than the one featuring his visage. In a video explaining the experiment's results, Reynolds said, wow, that is crushing for an actor to hear. 
the brands who've paid me so much money for my face over the years have totally wasted their cash, unquote. They're not the only ones. A conclusion I reach often when I read the trades for you. Copyrighted feature. And now... News of the land of 15,000 princes. Our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia. Three years after the assassination of Jamal Khashoggi, the Saudi royal court advisor, who was accused of directing the murder of Khashoggi, is being quietly reintroduced by pro-Saudi government influencers as a patriotic figure who has served his country well. Well, what do you know? Social media accounts that back the Saudi leadership have in recent months been posting tributes to Saud al-Qatani, the chief aide to the Crown Prince, MBS, in a move that's seen as marking his gradual return to the seat of Saudi power. Maybe kissing the seat. Qatani vanished from public view in the aftermath of the gruesome killing in Istanbul that shocked the world for about four seconds and almost derailed his boss's path to the throne. It's, um, it's where the Ikea camera is, sir. The close friend of Bin Salman has also been seen in the, open, in the royal court from where he's accused of planning one of history's most brutal assassinations inside the Saudi consulate in Istanbul. He looks very nervous, almost paranoid, said one official who has seen Katani. He's still trying to keep a low profile. Well, a lot of assassins do. It's a character flaw. And a court in Saudi Arabia has upheld a 20-year prison term imposed on a Saudi aid worker who had criticized the government on Twitter. That drew a rare public rebuke from the U.S. Some tension between the Biden administration and our freedom-loving friends. The ruling confirmed this week also upheld a 20-year travel ban for the aid worker, Abdul Rahman al-Sadhan, after he's released from jail. So after you're out of jail, you're in jail. It's, it's win-win. The uh, Saudis tracked the man down with the aid of two people working for Twitter who were allegedly spying for Saudi Arabia, who uh, leaked the user data of over 6,000 Twitter accounts. His case is the latest example of the continued crackdown against those who criticize the Saudi government, this is according to the Associated Press, or Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, or any Salman, or any Salmon. It also shows the length to which the authorities have gone to silence their critics. Our friends, ladies and gentlemen, our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia. Now news of... uh, Inspectors General, an emergency relief program hastily rolled out in the early days of the pandemic had such poor fraud protections and improperly doled out nearly $4.5 billion to self-employed people who said they had additional workers, even those who made wildly implausible claims like having a million employees. This is the $20 billion economic injury disaster loan advance offered to small businesses in uh, the immediate months after the pandemic shuttered much of the economy, 
offered them immediate grants to small businesses of up to $10,000. Hundreds of thousands of the grants it made were inflated because there was no system to catch applications with flawed or illogical information, according to the SBA's Inspector General, Hannibal Ware. I said Hannibal Ware. The report this week described how the agencies could have spotted obviously bogus applications by taking even rudimentary steps to prevent fraud. It's the latest black eye for the SBA, thrust to the front lines of the government's pandemic response. The agency also ran the Pay Tech Protection Program, which gave out $800 billion in bank-issued loans, but often left lenders and borrowers scrambling to comply with confusing and shifting rules. Fraud was a problem there, too. According to the New York Times, tens of billions of dollars may have been taken improperly. And one more IG note. One of the major mistakes of the war in Afghanistan, they made mistakes. And the simultaneous U.S. effort to rebuild it as a democratic country may have been an over-reliance on the military. No. No. That's the Inspector General for Afghan Reconstruction testifying in Congress this week. Though the State Department and the Agency for International Development were also on the ground throughout the 20-year period of America's longest war, the Defense Department's budget and capacity for risk-taking may have edged out any purely diplomatic or humanitarian efforts. This is from Military Times. DOD didn't crowd them out for nefarious reasons, said John Sopko, the IG. It was just, I think, the reality of the situation. DOD's funding overwhelmed that of state and U.S. aid, he said. They had also the advantage of being able to penetrate and navigate unsafe areas. We expect and we understand when DOD takes calculated risks. There's been a tendency, and I saw this over time in Afghanistan, this is the IG talking, a fear among State Department officials and aid officials, a fear to take risk. As a result, people didn't leave the compounds. People didn't go over the wire and do work they need to do, unquote. The military also just had more people. So many of the projects, from construction to building ties with local leadership, Tom? Local leadership. Mm-hmm. Fell to the military. What happened is DOD was given the reins to do a lot of the development and didn't know how to do it, didn't have the capability, didn't have the expertise. And that's a problem. It comes down to funding, said the IG, and the military never had an issue securing it. Gee, that sounds odd considering what else is going on. News of IGs, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, it is a copyrighted feature, this broadcast. And now... News of the Godly. This is a, a biggie. Dayline Paris. Ah, the French. French clergy, specifically, sexually abused more than 200,000 children over the past 70 years. That's according to a major investigation released this week. Its authors said the Catholic Church had turned a blind eye to the scourge, their word, for too long. The, the Church had shown, quote, deep, total, even cruel indifference for years, unquote, protecting itself rather than the victims' vote was 
systemic abuse, said Jean-Marc Sauve, head of the commission that compiled the report. Most of the victims were boys. He said many of them aged between 10 and 13. Quote, faced with this scourge for a very long time, the Catholic Church's immediate reaction was to protect itself as an institution, and it has shown complete, even cruel indifference to those having suffered abuse, unquote the report. The revelations showed the problem in France was more widespread than previously thought. They were the latest to rock the Catholic Church after a series of sexual abuse scandals around the world. This, according to Reuters, Pope Francis expressed gratitude towards victims for having the courage to come forward. First of all, his thoughts go to the victims with great sorrow for their wounds, said a Vatican spokesperson. The head of the French Conference of Bishops said the church was shamed, calling the report a bombshell. He asked for forgiveness and promised to act. At least he didn't promise to direct. The commission was established by Catholic bishops in France at the end of 2018 to shed light on abuses and restore public confidence in the church. The uh, church's teaching on subjects such as sexuality. What are those other subjects? Uh, Obedience and the sanctity of the priesthood helped create blind spots which allowed sexual abuse by clergy to happen, Sove said, adding that the church needed to reform the way it approached those issues build trust with society. Church must take responsibility for what happened, the commission said, and ensure reports of abuse were transmitted to judicial authorities. By the way, not just boys. 80% of the victims were young boys between 10 and, th- 18, uh, 10 and 13. Many young girls were abused as well, and not only by priests. Nuns used crucifixes to rape little girls or forced boys to have sex with them, too. All right, then. Most cases assessed by the inquiry are thought to be too old to prosecute under French law. Ah, the French. He added that sexual... He, the author of the report, said sexual abuse within the Catholic Church continues to be a problem. The commission found evidence of as many as 3,200 abusers. It said this is probably an underestimation. Quote, the Catholic Church is after the circle of family and friends, the environment that has the highest prevalence of sexual violence. And uh, he said this was the reaction of the Church up to the early 2000s when victims would report, quote, the victims are not believed, are not listened to. When they're listened to, they're considered to have perhaps contributed to what they had happened to them. According to the BBC, the uh, inquiry found that about 60% of the men and women who were abused by uh, your priests, your nuns, went on to encounter major problems in their emotional or sexual lives. The church must provide victims with adequate financial compensation, Sove said, quote, which, despite not being sufficient to address the trauma, is nonetheless indispensable as it completes the recognition process, unquote. The height of the abuse was 1950-1970, the commission said, with an apparent resurgence in cases, or resurgence in cases, if you like, in the early 1990s. Among the recommendations of the commission, systematically checking the criminal record of any person assigned by the church to be in regular contact with children or vulnerable people, 
and providing priests with adequate training. Yes, you'd think so, wouldn't you? A wide-ranging study by research and polling groups estimated there had been around 216,000 victims. The number could rise to 330,000 if you include abuse by lay members. I said lay members. So said the scale was unprecedented. News of the Godly, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now news of the warm. I think you will. I think we all will. Soft, listen to the warm. We can listen to the warm. It's a good news, bad news report on the warm this week. Bad news first. A new study of more than 13,000 cities worldwide around the world, as Wolf Blitzer likes to say, has found that the number of person days in which inhabitants are exposed to extreme combinations of heat and humidity, the number of those days has tripled just since the 1980s. The authors say the trend, which now affects nearly a quarter of the world's population, is the combined result of both rising temperatures and booming population growth. The study was published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, is all. Over recent decades, hundreds of millions have moved from rural areas to cities. They now hold more than half the world's population. Temperatures are generally higher than in the countryside because ain't no trees and there's abundant concrete, asphalt, and other impermeable surfaces that tend to trap and concentrate heat. Your urban heat island effect. This has broad effects, said the study's lead author. It increases morbidity and mortality, impacts people's ability to work, and results in lower economic output. It exacerbates pre-existing health conditions. So it's all good. So let's all move back to the country. What do you say? Here's the good news. Mature oak trees will increase their rate of photosynthesis by up to a third in response to raised CO2 levels, like the ones that are expected to be the world average by about 2050. This is new results from the University of Birmingham, published in Tree Physiology. I, I do read it for the pictures. They're the first results to emerge from a giant outdoor experiment led by the University of Birmingham, in which an old oak forest is bathed in elevated levels of CO2. Not showered, bathed. Over the first three years of a 10-year project, the 175-year-old oaks clearly responded to the CO2 by consistently increasing their rate of photosynthesis. Researchers are measuring leaves, wood, roots, and soil to find out where the extra carbon captured ends up and for how long it stays locked up in the forest. See, I said good use. The increase in photosynthesis was greatest in strong sunlight. The overall balance of key nutrient elements, carbon and nitrogen, did not change in the leaves. Keeping that ratio constant suggests that the old trees have found ways of redirecting their elements or found ways of bringing more nitrogen in from the soil to balance the carbon they're getting from the air. Come on in, nitrogen! The research was carried out at the Free Air CO2 Enrichment Facility of the Birmingham Institute of Forest Research, one of the two largest experiments 
investigating the effect of global change on nature. We could be saved by the trees. This is Le Show, and um, 
in the wake of what's been going on for the past two weeks, it's probably necessary for me to point out something I learned. I think the last time uh, Dr. Stephanie Kelton was a guest on this program, she, the author of The Deficit Myth. Highly recommended if you haven't read it. Um, and she pointed out that this is one of the few countries in the world, few Western nations, that has a debt limit at all in the law. We were going through this uh, paroxysm about, oh, we're going to run out of time to raise the debt limit. Well, the debt limit isn't in the Constitution. It's a law. Congress passed it at the behest of, um, oh, I don't know, imagine a political party that was trying to uh, prevent spending. Yes, such do exist. Uh, So there was this drama, as I say, all uh, the last couple of weeks. Will the Congress extend the debt limit past its October 18th proclaimed deadline? And as you may recall, the Republican leader of the Senate was threatening to filibuster the Senate's attempt to vote to extend the debt limit. Couldn't even take couldn't even take up the issue because he was going to filibuster it. And then um, this week, that that uh, Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell, of course, this early this week. He said, oh, no, no, I, uh, that's all, you know, they've got till December. I'll, I'll, I'll vote for that, as opposed to a week from now. And um, the news media and the Democrats could be heard sighing with relief. And some Republicans were not so happy. Your Ted Cruz... Your um, well, you're not Ted Cruz. Don't worry about it. The um, Democratic leader of the Senate, Chuck Schumer, from New York, he represents a state with a lot of banks. Um, he made a statement on the Senate floor later in the week, sort of a nasty. Well, it, it was gloating and nasty. It was naming names and pointing fingers, and even well, even even Joe Manchin. The Democrat from West Virginia was critical of Schumer's statement, the uh, pointedness of it, the fact that it departed so markedly from what we recognize as Senate linguistic protocols. Elsewhere, though, they were still fully in effect. Thanks for making some time for me, Mr. Minority Leader. Well, Senator Grime, I've always got time for such an accomplished senior member of the Republican caucus. Well, I appreciate that, Mr. Leader. Yeah. Although your secretary said you couldn't be... Dis- I've always found that uh, looking to the future is more productive than looking backward. I venture to guess that you've come to a similar conclusion. Ice club soda. Thanks. I'm I'm off the bubbles for now. Bubbles can't hurt you. Mr. Leader, in actual fact, uh, I do want to look backward just a wee little bit. 
a lot of folks on our side of the aisle are of the opinion that you may well have caved on the issue of the debt limit. And in all honesty, I have to tell you that uh, I'm one of those people. Mm-hmm. Those bubbles may be hurting you just sitting there in the glass. <laughs> Seriously, Mr. Senator, we had the Democrats all convinced the worst was going to happen, and then we discombobulated them by what the basketball players in my neck of the woods call pulling the chair. Mm-hmm. Well, Mr. Leader, I appreciate that. I may not be as familiar with basketball strategy as your run-of-the-mill gent, but it sure looked to uh, a lot of the folks I speak with as just a complete flip-flop, which last time I looked included both a flip and uh, the requisite follow-up flop. You know, this might possibly be my imagination, but it does sound to me like there's some ventriloquism originating from the most recent former occupant of the White House. That couldn't possibly be true, though, could it? Mr. Leader, I've noticed that there there are some people in our party who don't happen to appreciate that uh, we have a leader and that he often has a seat-of-the-pants ability to get to the bottom of things. And it might just not be in the interest of our party to indulge in fits of pique with that leader, mm-hmm. especially when he's... So darn much fun on the golf course. I have to admit, uh, Lindsay, I'm having a little bit of trouble understanding why we're having this conversation just now. Would would the senator from South Carolina seriously like me to go out and rescind my goodwill gesture, which showed up the Democratic catastrophizing for the pathetic political theater that it was? Wouldn't that just be the kind of flip-flop he denounces? <laughs> well, Mr. Leader, can I, can I help focus your attention on the fact that uh, we've delayed the vote on the debt limit until the middle of the Christmas holiday season when almost no one will be giving a scintilla of a damn about what we're doing? How do we benefit from that timing? Some would say that... Uh, time of less attention bandwidth might well be a much better time to fold our tent and put our principled objection out of its misery. Maybe our ventriloquist friend doesn't grasp that concept, given that he was never the most strategic thinker in the whole kindergarten. And I think you'd agree that I've just about exhausted my available time for amiable chit-chat. Well, I thank the minority leader for pointing that out and I'll be sure to share it with my golfing buddy next time we hit the links mm-hmm. well I'm sure my distinguished member can find his own way out mm-hmm. and uh, so can I sir now the apologies of the week Well, let's start with Facebook, shall we? They're sorry. No, not about the uh, whistleblower. Facebook apologized to users for a two-hour disruption to its services on Friday. Blamed 
Another faulty configuration change for its second global outage this very week. Wow. The company confirmed its social media platform, Instagram Messenger and Workplace, whatever that is, were impacted by the latest outage. Sincere apologies to anyone who wasn't able to access our products in the last couple of hours, the company said. No, the company didn't say it. Somebody at the company said it. We fixed the issue and everything should be back to normal now. Unquote. Here's a warning for you. During the latest outage, some users were unable to load their Instagram feeds, while others were not able to send messages on Facebook Messenger. Think of the things they won't be asked to buy as a result. Major League Baseball Network broadcaster Jim Cott apologized this week for an insensitive comment he made about White Sox third baseman Juan Moncada during the American League Division Series. As Moncada approached the plate in the first inning of the game against the Astros, Cott, along with Buck Showalter, talked about Moncada's ability. Showalter asked, can we have one of those when he saw Moncada? Cott then said, get a 40-acre field full of them. The phrase used by Cott is associated with slavery and the Civil War. Union General Sherman stated free slaves would receive 40 acres of land and a mule. That didn't happen. The land was given back to its original owners. In the fifth game, Cod apologized about his comment. I want to take a little break here. In fact, I need to read this right now. Because earlier in the game, when he was at the plate in an attempt to compliment the great player, I used a poor choice of words that resulted in a sensitive, hurtful remark. And I'm sorry, unquote. He has been broadcasting since his MLB days ended in the 1980s. Trained for 30-plus years and still a graphic designer who turned whistleblower about a famed 1995 BBC interview with Princess Diana, which an independent probe earlier this year found was obtained by journalist journalist Martin Bashir using deceitful methods. That designer has reached an agreement with the BBC. It includes unspecified financial compensation. The BBC repeated a, quote, full and unconditional apology, unquote, to the designer Matt Weisler, quote, for the way he was treated by the corporation in the past, and also apologized to his family. Quote, Mr. Weisler acted with complete integrity, including in raising his concerns at the time. We're sorry that these were not listened to, unquote. And he got appropriate financial compensation for the wrongs done to him and the profound impact on his and his family's life. The two parties said the terms of the agreement are confidential. Uh, his involvement was that Martin Bashir, the journalist, called him in 1995 and asked him to mock up fake bank statements to show that the media were paying associates of Diana's family for information. Bashir wanted to use the fake documents to win the trust of Diana's brother and secure the TV interview. The BBC later said it has a handwritten note from Diana saying the documents played no part in her decision to take part in the interview. But still, you know, a mess. Republicans on the Senate Armed Services Committee this week said they were opposed to Pentagon nominee Brenda Sue Fulton, citing her past tweets and statements criticizing the GOP and evangelicals. During the confirmation hearing, 
Senators Tom Cotton of Arkansas, Rick Scott of Florida, Josh Hawley of Missouri, and Dan Sullivan of Alaska said they would oppose outright her confirmation to be Assistant Secretary of Defense for Manpower and Reserve Affairs. They uh, said Fuller's tweets showed bias against Republicans and evangelicals and questioned whether she could effectively lead the sprawling personnel portfolio. She apologized for several of the tweets, calling it, quote, always wrong to tarnish an entire group of people with the beliefs or actions of one or a few, unquote. Another Republican senator noted a January 2018 tweet labeling the GOP racist for not calling out racism. She responded she regretted the tweet and said she aimed to convey that combating racism is a moral issue that transcends party. I want to take the opportunity to apologize to you and to all the members of the committee for that tweet. My intent was to say that racism isn't Democratic or Republican, that it's not a political issue, it's a moral issue. But I went about it all wrong. The words are muddled and confused. I deeply regret them." Bet you she gets the job. Deadline Washington, two more capital rioters avoided jail time this week, adding to the growing number of defendants who have received light sentences for joining the January 6th thing, without adding to the violence. Andrew Bennett of Maryland received three months of home confinement, but you should see his home. Two years of probation and 80 hours of community service. Danielle Doyle of Oklahoma received two months of probation and a $3,000 fine both accepted plea deals for parading, demonstrating, or picketing in a Capitol building. Bennett said, I'd like to apologize to you and the country for entering the Capitol during his sentencing hearing. I was not thinking clearly, pumped up on adrenaline, as I was. What I did was wrong, and I hold myself accountable for my actions. He live-streamed his participation to his Facebook page. He was wearing a hat with the Proud Boys logo, although he's not a member. He didn't commit any violence, even admonished other rioters to stop being a destructive being destructive several times. That's an important fact called out by prosecutors. But he did post on Facebook quote, Chaos is coming and yelled at an officer while in the building. Dateline Ottawa, Canada, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has offered a private apology to the chief of a British Columbia First Nation after he passed up opportunities to honor Canada's first Truth and Reconciliation Day in the community. One major indigenous advocacy organization called on him to voice his contrition in public. Prime Minister's office said he spoke with the head of a tribe and apologized for failing to accept invitations to mark September 30th in the community, where more than 200 unmarked graves were discovered at the site of a former residential school where Indian children were forced to attend. While he was in the province that day, he chose instead to spend personal time with his family. The uh, head of the Native Women's Association of Canada said she welcomed word of Trudeau's private apology, but called on him to make a more public statement, cautioning that his actions may have lasting consequences. Ooh, I smell a threat. Deadline Denver, the Denver Zoo, has apologized more than a decade after a black man died following a confrontation with police on zoo grounds 
Zoo President Bert Vescolani publicly apologized to Gail Waters for her son Alonzo Ashley's death July of 2011. The 29-year-old Ashley was visiting the zoo when he started acting strangely and ran to find a water fountain. A zoo volunteer called for police who tackled Ashley and shocked him with a stun gun. According to the coroner's report, Ashley was placed face down on the ground with his hands cuffed behind his back and his legs crossed and pressed forward towards its buttocks. He began convulsing and stopped breathing before paramedics arrived. The coroner ruled Ashley's death was caused by cardiorespiratory arrest brought on by heat, dehydration, and exertion during the struggle. The district attorney's office cleared the eight officers involved, but the city paid Ashley's family 295000 Canadian in 2016 to settle a lawsuit. For years, the zoo refused to acknowledge any responsibility. This week, the resulting boycott ended with the apology and the de- dedication of a water fountain and cooling station in Ashley's honor. Oh, if only... Yeah. ESPN Sports Center anchor Sage Steele has apologized after making controversial statements about vaccine mandates, female sports reporters, and former President Obama's racial identity. Steele has been removed from the air following comments made during an end-of-September podcast episode of Uncut with Jay Cutler. Steele said to CNN, I know my recent comments created controversy for the company, and I apologize. We're in the midst of an extremely challenging time that impacts all of us, and it's more critical than ever that we communicate constructively and thoughtfully, unquote, and with the advice of a lawyer. No, she didn't say that. And Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg apologized at the beginning of the week for the disruption for the disruption caused by after its social media services went down for almost six hours. He said he was sorry after an internal technical issue took those services. Services offline. It's likely to increase scrutiny of the social media giant's reach, says the BBC for hours. Potentially billions of people found themselves without the social media tools they relied upon to see personalized ads. Women's National Basketball Association stars Courtney Williams and Crystal Bradford are in trouble. This year, earlier, the two Atlanta Dream players were caught on camera trading blows outside a day club in Atlanta during a massive brawl. During the clip, Williams can be seen shoving and violently punching a group of women as they throw jabs at one another. Her teammate, Crystal Bradford, is seen kicking and slamming into the women during the altercation. ESPN said Williams posted the video of the fight to her YouTube account earlier this month where she poked fun at the heated exchange which took place back in May. She, uh, at some portion of her 39-minute long YouTube video, she appeared to make light of the situation, explaining she felt outnumbered by the women involved in the brawl. She quickly deleted the video and issued an apology on Twitter, stating she didn't want to represent the organization or herself in a negative way. I'm learning every day, so I ask for grace as I'm growing. Again, I apologize to all attached. I will be better moving forward. Unquote. But it appears her apology may have come a little too late. An agent representing the WNBA players says the Atlanta Dream has officially decided to cut the two stars from its roster. 
roster. I never. M- the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Taiwan thanked the public for their vigilance, said it corrected its mistake after a promotional video of Taiwan showing a mountain in Switzerland instead of Taiwan. Thanking the public for pointing out the mistake, Foreign Affairs Ministry spokesperson reiterated the ministry's promise to keep improving the production value and content of its National Day videos. The company that produced the video issued a statement apologizing for the mistake, saying it was caused by a mix-up between two, two similar video clips of mountains. And finally, this week, Jerry Seinfeld appeared on a television show, late night show, and apologized for the unintended, quote, sexual undertones between his B character and the human woman in the 2007 animated movie, B Movie. Yes, it took him a while. There's been long-running commentary surrounding the animated children's movie, which some viewers have said features an implied romantic relationship and attraction between the animated film's main characters, the Seinfeld voice B, and the film's animated leading lady, a florist, florist voiced by Renee Zellweger. Quote, I apologize for what seems to be a certain uncomfortable, subtle sexual aspect of the B movie, he began. It really was not intentional, but after it came out, I realized this is really not appropriate for children because the bee seems to have a thing for the girl, and we really don't want to pursue that as an idea in children's entertainment. Unquote Jerry Seinfeld about a 2007 movie in 2021. The Apologies of the Week, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast, and wrapping up the show... A chatbot used by Singapore's Ministry of Health has been switched off after providing inappropriate answers to residents' queries on COVID-related matters. Screenshots of gaffes from the chatbot appeared online earlier this week. A suggestion that practicing safe sex is the way to help a child with COVID. That's one of them. Uh, Suggesting condom use when a child tests positive to COVID. Users were pointed to clinics to receive the polio vaccine instead of COVID testing. That's a smart chatbot. It's a smart, smart, smart world.
Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program, filled with entirely different stuff, returns next week, same time on this radio station, a time of your choosing on your audio device of choice. And it would be just like Orson Welles saying, Maha the French, one more time, if you'd agree to join with me then, would you? Alrighty, thank you very much, uh huh. Maha the French. A tip of the show chapeau to the San Diego desk, to Pam Halstead and to Thomas Walsh at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program, this very one you're listening to, as well as your chance fleeting to get Cars I Talk t shirts. And the playlist of the music you hear here, all at harryshearer.com. And I'm on Twitter, at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from the home of the homeless.